If you have a Bible, you can turn to Psalm 121. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab a pew Bible. And I think the page number is in the bulletin for Psalm 121. Uh, Before moving to Dothan, I taught high school English for seven years. And um, one of my responsibilities was to teach writing. And high school students, they have a hard time getting started writing. And so what I would always teach them is to to work on the body of the essay. In other words, you kind of know what you want to say, get those points firmed up in your supporting details, and then go back and work on the introduction. just makes it a little bit easier. And so I kind of had that struggle this week. I kind of knew what I wanted to say. I didn't know how I was going to start the sermon. So I thought, well, I'll just practice what I preached all those years. And I kind of couldn't come up with anything. And so I started to worry. Started to panic a little bit. Like, how am I going to start this sermon? Um, I, I'm a worrier by nature. And so I'm in my office and I'm thinking, okay, what if I just don't have an intro? What if I just kind of jump right into the sermon? Or what if I have a really bad intro and I can't figure out how to get to the main part of the sermon? Or what if it's just all unclear and everybody leaves really confused and I'll just be sad for a whole Sunday? Uh, this is my normal, okay? This is just kind of what I do. I just worry. That's, that's kind of the thing I'm best at. Or, well, the thing I'm really best at is catching more fish than Henry, okay? But second to that, I'm a worrier, okay? And, and maybe some of you are here and, and that's your normal. You worry. Or there's some situation in your life or some relationship in your life that brings about angst and anxiety and fretting. Um, I'm good at laying awake at night and staring at the ceiling and worrying. Uh, life just kind of does that to me. I worry about my kids. I worry about my aging parents. I worry about finances and work and my health and our neighborhood and what am I going to do when I retire, if I even live to I retire, uh, how do I look, my hair's not what it used to be, those sort of things. And that's just my own life. I'm sure you could add your worries to that list. And, and it, sometimes they all happen at the same time and I just become incapacitated with worry. And so this week as I was flipping out about my introduction to this sermon, I had to wrestle with why am I worried about these things? Why do I worry? And as I was wrestling and talking with God, I, I think he revealed to me that I'm struggling with the same thing Adam and Eve struggled with. I really am not content with being created. I want to be the creator. I want to be in control of everything. And the reality is, that's just not going to happen because I'm finite. And that's the way God made me. There's no way for me to protect my kids 24-7. There's nothing I can do to reverse my parents' aging. I certainly can't do anything about the stock market or if my truck breaks down. Can't schedule every need that arises during the week from students or from church family members. I can't avoid every sickness. I can't control all the families in our neighborhood. And I certainly can't predict what the future holds. The truth is that we aren't God. God is autonomous, He doesn't need anybody else. But the rest of us, we all need somebody. We all need help. And when we don't admit that we need help, that's kind of the the epitome 
of pride. Those great theologians, John, Paul, George, and Ringo, those are the Beatles, by the way, for all you youngsters. See, Henry and Rob and Rusty, they quote hymns. I quote the Beatles and Merle Haggard. I mean, that's, I just let you know who the least holy pastor is on the staff. So. But in 1965, the Beatles, they released help, and they sang out for help. They, they needed somebody. They realized they couldn't do this alone. Unfortunately, their help that they were looking for is earthly. And the really sad thing is, for Christians, sometimes we look for the exact same help that the lost world looks for. We put our hope and our trust in the exact same things that lost people do. We think if we just have financial security, we'll be okay. Or if our kids can just go to that private school, they'll turn out all right. Maybe if I just worked more, that would, that would fix everything. Or things become overwhelming and we turn to alcohol or we turn to some earthly person. And we put all of our hope in those things. And the, the thing is, they're all created. They all have limits. They're all tainted with sin. And so our worry and our anxiety is never really dealt with. So we go back, like I do. We lie awake at night, we stare at the ceiling, and we fret. But brothers and sisters, man, that should not be us. That should not be the people of God. So if you're here today, and you feel the weight of worry and anxiety and the feeling of being overwhelmed, my prayer is that as we look at Psalm 121 today, that God would literally take your face and lift it up toward heaven because it is from there that our help comes. If you're a believer, as we read Psalm 121, these are guaranteed promises for you. From your God who possesses you, who loves you, But maybe you're here and you're lost. Maybe you're not trusting Christ as your Savior. These promises are not true of you. But they can be. And they can be immediately. If you repent, if you turn to Christ, if you put your trust in Him. This particular song, or psalm, is referred to as a song of ascent. Uh, Sometimes they're referred to as pilgrim songs. They were sung on the way to Jerusalem uh, for various festivals, for worship. And God's people would kind of come to the end of their journey. And they would look up in the mountainous terrain towards Jerusalem. And they would know they were almost there. It was almost time to go and meet the Lord. And Psalms 120 through 134, they're all songs of ascent. And it's great because they follow right on the heels of Psalm 119, which is all about God's truth and God's word. And so I think what the songs of ascent do is they remind us of that truth. They call us to recognize the truth of who we are worshiping, the truth about Yahweh. There's been a quote by Elizabeth Elliot that's kind of floating around on the Internet lately. It says this, If you dwell on your own feelings about things rather than dwelling on the faithfulness, the love, and the mercy of God, then you're likely to have a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Our feelings are fleeting and ephemeral, aren't they? We can't depend on them for five minutes at a time, but dwelling on the love, the faithfulness, and the mercy of God is always safe. That's exactly what the songs of ascent are calling us to. 
Don't look at your emotions. Don't look at your feelings. Don't look at your current circumstances. Focus on, dwell on, think about the love, the faithfulness, and mercy of God. And that's exactly what I want us to do as we look at Psalm 121 today. So let me read it. And then I've got four quick points. I know that's one too many. And I know that preachers, when they say quick, never mean that. But I'm really going to do it. Okay? So let me read Psalm 121. I lift, my eye, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let me pray. God, thank you for your word. Would you hide it in our hearts so that we may leave with our gaze upon you? In Christ's name, amen. All right, so four quick points all about the help of God. There's strong help, there's active help, there's protective help, and there's secure help. One thing I do want to point out before we kind of dive in is all of the pronouns, and I know that's exactly why you came to church this morning was to hear about pronouns, but all the pronouns in this particular psalm are singular. Okay, a lot of times we, we get these psalms that are kind of blanket statements for all Christians or for the church as a whole. Uh, these are aimed at each individual believer. And why I say that is for you to know that this is particularly for you. It's for the person on your left, it's for the person on your right, but the psalmist was aimed at each individual heart. So think about that, believer, as we work our way through these verses. All right, so this first point is strong help. It comes from verses 1 and 2. The first thing I think the psalmist wants us to remember is the first commandment, that, that the help comes from Yahweh and no other. No other gods are like Yahweh, who created heaven and earth. And when, when we see that, sometimes it doesn't register. We just say, oh, who made heaven and earth? Okay, we go on, and we don't really give that much thought. But let me just throw a couple statistics at you. There are 326 million trillion gallons of water on the face of earth. 326 million trillion. Now, I majored in English. I don't even know what that number means, okay, but it's huge, okay? And Isaiah 40.12 tells us that God holds those 326 million trillion gallons of water in the palm of his hand. He is a huge, big God. There are roughly 100 to 400 billion stars in the Milky Way. Astronomers think that there are some hundred billions other galaxies in our universe, and so every time we build a telescope, we see more galaxies. Therefore, we see more stars. We have no idea how many billions upon billions of stars are out there. But Psalm 147, verse 4, says that God names each of those stars. Now think about that. Think about God's vocabulary. He names billions of stars. So when we read those kind of statistics... How are we supposed to respond? Well, the very next verse in Psalm 147, the psalmist cries out, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. And that's the first thing that the psalmist wants us to notice in Psalm 121 is 
when we say creator of heaven and earth, there's power there. The source of all power is there. The God who made heaven and earth loves you, believer. If you're trusting in Christ, the the God who spoke earth into existence, who holds those 326 million trillion gallons of water in the palm of his hand and named those billions of stars, he loves you. And he has the power, regardless of your worry, regardless of your anxiety, regardless of your circumstance, to bring you help. It's a great thing about Christ in Colossians 1. He's the one that holds all things together. He's powerful. Yahweh is strong. He is able. And He loves you. And so, Christian, please look up. Look up to the hills. Look up and see that strong help that He offers. Look up from that current situation. Look up from your emotional breakdown and your angst. And see the eternal, unchangeable, set the earth on its foundations, powerful, strong God. All right, second thing. This is in verses 3 and 4. You have active help. Okay? Remember that this would be sung by these pilgrims who had been traveling a long, long way to get to Jerusalem. They're worn out and they're tired and they're weary. And they, they come to the end of their journey, and they look up, and they're like, I'm already tired, now. I've got to climb these mountains. And so the Lord promises sure footing. And I look at that, and I say, that's it. God, they get to the mountains, and you say, hey, we, we won't let you slip around as you climb up these mountains. But I don't think that's it, okay? Because... Sure steps, sure footing is talked about in other places. In Psalm 37, David writes that the law of his God is is in his heart. His steps do not slip. That really this firm footing, now Yahweh is absolutely capable of protecting them physically from harm as they travel. But really what I think the psalmist is getting at here is, is I've given you a firm foundation, and that is my word. That understanding God's word gives your life stability. And if you feel like it's going up and down and up and down and up and there, bury yourself in his truth. If you're worried, if you're anxious, hide yourself in God's word. Hide it in your heart so that you're not carried about by every wind of doctrine, as Paul tells us in Ephesians 4. So this foothold is not just physical protection, but it's a steadiness that is brought to your life, your heart, your soul, and mind by God's truth, remembering God's truth. And then at the end of verse 3 and the end of verse 4, God reassures us that he's not asleep. And we think, well, what's comforting about that? Well, again, put yourself in the, in the situation of the pilgrims. They're tired. They're wanting rest. They're wanting sleep. And when they're reminded that God doesn't sleep, it's a reminder that God is not a man. He's not just another friend. He is Yahweh, creator. He never sleeps. He's not like us. We sleep a third of our lives. And if you're like college age and below, it's like three quarters. Okay? God made us that way. We have to have sleep. We will die without it. But Yahweh doesn't need any sleep. He is life. He never stops. Buddha is dead. Muhammad is dead. But God is alive and at work 
for you and for His glory. Every time that we lie down to take a nap, every time that we lie down to go to bed, it ought to be a reminder that we are not God, that we have limits. We have, uh, we have a certain... Um, we're not, we're not uh, infinite. Okay, We're finite. While we sleep, the world just keeps right on going because it's not us who holds all things together. That is Christ. And so your success as an employee or an employer, a business owner, a spouse, a parent, a student, it doesn't all rest on your shoulders. And to work like it does and to fret like it does and to worry like it does is to not, not acknowledge that you are finite and the Lord is infinite. You are sinning in a way that Adam and Eve did. You want to be God instead of being the created. So let me encourage this. Weary pilgrim, rest in the limitless God who's at work for you, who has no limits, who is infinite, and he's at work for his glory and your good, and he does it all the time. For all eternity. So rest. Your footing is firm. And your God is awake. Point three. You've got protective help. These are verses five and six. We go back and read those. It says, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The word keep is used six times in Psalm 121. And it carries with it this sense of kind of provision and protection. And again, think if you're traveling, those are two things that would be of great value to you. That we're cared for, we're protected. They're traveling through this unfamiliar territory, right? Are we not on that same journey? This world is not our home. We are called to be in the world, but not of the world. And the world and the way it operates seems foreign to us. And so we long for that provision and protection from the Lord. We see Christianity being undermined at every turn. We see the corruption uh, that's everywhere, the brokenness. And, and our spirit speaks to us and said, this, this isn't all there is. This isn't home. And to interact with the world and, and their principles, it, it, it causes some worry, it causes some anxiety, it causes some angst. It makes us feel like outcasts. But God has us here in the midst of that brokenness and that's hurt. And he promises to provide for us and to protect us. So what does he mean by shade here in verse 5? He's going to keep. The Lord is your keeper. He's your shade on your right hand. Well, if you go through the Psalms, and I would encourage you to go back and read Psalm 91. Shade is a metaphor that's used throughout the Psalms. And, it, and it's just a metaphor for God's protection. And it being on the right hand, it seems like in this psalm, it, it's, it's readily available. It's right there. It's handy in a sense. So, so this protection God offers is, is available because he never sleeps. And he's all-powerful. He has endless resources. And then we go and we read, okay, it's not going to strike you by day, the sun won't, nor the moon by night. And... Really, this is another thing that the Hebrew poets do. They kind of take these two extremes to talk about the totality of the covering of God's protection. Does that make sense? So 
sun by day, moon by night. It's really not specifically those two things. It's just saying there's no time, there's no place, there's no circumstance, there's no life event where God's provision and protection is not there for you if you're trusting in Christ. So we need to take heart. Even in this weary land of brokenness that's so hard for us sometimes to travel through, we have a powerful creator. We have active help from a God who doesn't sleep. And you have Yahweh's protective provision everywhere you go, in every circumstance, in every role that you play in life. So take heart. Last point here, secure help. This is verses 7 and 8. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. I read that first line earlier in the week, the Lord will keep you from all evil, and I thought, I don't think that's true. I mean, we experienced evil, right? Evil invades our life from time to time through situations and people and the world. And so I began to dig. I said, I know, well, this, this is a line in God's Word, so it can't be untrue. It can't be a lie. So, so what does it really mean? And my Bible actually referenced me back to verse 3 that says, He will not let your foot be moved. And we talked about that being God's Word, His foundation for your life. And so here, here's, what, here, here's the best thing I could figure out about this particular verse, verse 7. That this is God's uh, arming you for battle. You are well armed. This keeping, this protection is not that you won't have to fight in the battle or the battle won't come to your doorstep or the battle won't ever enter your heart, but that you are, as a child of God, are well armed for the battle against evil. Think about Paul's words in Ephesians 6. Remember, he, he reminds us to take up the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, prayer. And before he lists all those out, he says this, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. So this keeping from the Lord, of this keeping that the Lord does, keeping our lives keeping us from all evil is not the absence of hurt and brokenness and badness in our life. It's preparation to endure it. It's an equipping to be able to pass through that for our good and God's glory. Absence of hurt and brokenness and badness in our life. It's preparation to endure it. It's an equipping to be able to pass through that for our good and God's glory. So in Psalm 121, all, all the times it's talking about this keeping, God provides that keeping in the form of truth, righteousness, the gospel, peace, faith, the Holy Spirit, and prayer. And so when we read this, some of our immediate application of Psalm 121 should be to get in our Bibles to know it, to study it, to memorize it, to hide it in our hearts. We should set goals for prayer. Do it daily. Whatever little bit you can do, or if you can steal away for an hour, great. 
but fight for that time to be alone with the Lord. Pursue holiness. If you're struggling with a specific sin, confess that sin to the Lord. Confess it to a mature brother or sister in Christ for some accountability and some encouragement. Read books and articles about the depth and the breadth of the gospel. I mean, that's what verse 8, when it says, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Again, it's these two extremes to, to tell you there's, there's a total covering of God's truth. Wherever you go, wherever you are, whatever you're enduring, God's truth makes application. God's truth brings peace. It brings comfort. It brings encouragement. And as believers in Christ, we need to be digging in that to understand the depths and how it applies to our particular situation. God has given us many means of grace to protect us from evil. We have some friends in Birmingham, and some of you know these folks, Olin and Lena. They have four children. The oldest is Jackson. Jackson um, is now 15 or 16. But one time I was visiting Olin and Lena, and um, Jackson was just a toddler at this point, and we were all sitting on their couch, and we were talking. And Jackson ran off to play. So he's gone for a few minutes, and we're talking, and I hear Jackson just kind of very calmly say, Help. Well, Olin and Lena, they, they don't even move a muscle. Bat and I, conversation is uninterrupted. We just roll right along like nothing's happening. Well, in a minute, there's a little bit more fervent cry, a little more angst in the voice, help. I'm thinking, okay, this is the point where the parents kind of get up, you know, and like go make sure the kid isn't dying. Um, but they don't move. I mean, they just sit there. And so we continue to talk. It's, and it's their kid. I'm not... You know, it's not my responsibility. Um, so we just continue to talk. Well, all of a sudden, he just, just starts screaming. And he says, Mommy, Daddy, come help me. Well, then all three of us are like, we all three jump up and we head toward where the, the crying voice is coming from, only to find that Jackson had attempted to slide down the banister and one of his feet had gotten wedged in the spindle and he was kind of hanging on, dangling between the first and second floor off the side of the banister. And so his dad goes up there and rescues him. And I thought, man, now that kid knew where to get help from. And he knew how to do it. He knew to cry out to daddy because daddy and mama had the resources necessary to come to my rescue. And my question for us is, do we know that about our heavenly father? Do we really believe that? Or do we turn to these other things that we think is going to bring some kind of comfort, some kind of peace? But they have limits. And we're back to worrying and we're back to being anxious. We're, about, we're back to being uh, awake at night staring at the ceiling. Church, my prayer for myself and for us as we move into 2018 is to really know this God that's talked about in Psalm 121, who brings this strong, powerful, active help. So if you're here, and the weight of life seems to have you bent down with trouble and worry, start today to look up to the hills. And see your help, your strong, 
loving Father who is at the ready to help you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness to us. There are no words, Father, to praise you adequately for the amazing Father that you are to us. Would you help us to really think about these verses, to really understand the depth and the breadth of this help that we have? God, would you help us to admit that we can't hold all things together? To lay our pride aside and bow humbly before you and cry out, to reach out. Lord, thank you. Thank you for Christ who took away our sins so that this kind of help would be readily available to us. We praise you in Christ's name.